Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That has been our presenting sponsor for as long as I can remember. I don't I don't have a very good memory, but it was definitely for the last couple of years. Find the best tickets for hockey, basketball, baseball, football, this fall, music, opera, whatever you want. I have SeatGeek on my phone. It is by far the easiest way to shop for the best tickets thanks to their revolutionary grading system that codes the tickets. It's awesome. Everything fully guaranteed. Try it out. Download the SeatGeek app today or go right to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by our new Ringer podcast, Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air. It launched on Thursday, May 11th, and it is going to be happening, I think, weekly. But he's going to have some great guests from sports, pop culture, politics, all over the place. Subscribe now on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget about Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, our new gambling podcast. Subscribe to that one, too. The second one went up this week. And uh, if you have a gambling problem, it's probably not as bad as Sal's, but you might enjoy the podcast anyway. Anyway, Larry Wilmore and Cousin Sal, check those podcasts out. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com. I actually wrote a piece uh, with a whole bunch of Ringer staffers this week about the last uh, second season of Billions. So if you love Billions, I would check out that piece. We covered all the angles. All right, coming up, Aziz Ansari. Here we go. Aziz Ansari, part one. Part one. How I are haven't you? seen season two yet. But yeah, then you were supposed the to second, get it. The second part of this, I will have seen it. So, so we'll do part one. The irony is I had nothing to watch the last couple days. I, oh I just had to watch the same Billions episode four times. Oh, my God. So I'm catching you early, pre-promotional fatigue. Oh, my God. Yeah. When you yeah, just yeah, do yeah. a ton of interviews and you tell the same things yeah. a bunch I, of times, a bunch wanna, of anecdotes. I want to become like, what's his name, like, uh, like Kendrick Lamar and, and develop a reputation for being press shy. Oh, press shy's good. Uh, yeah, That's a good like corner for you. Kendrick Lamar's press shy. I want I want people to say that about me. Aziz Ansari's press shy. No, I I, I just do everything people ask. Louis done a good job of he he doles it out. He tries to keep interview mystery. Yeah. Why can't we do that, Melissa? Yeah, what about interview mystery, Melissa? Melissa's part he of He wants to be more mysterious. Evil Come on, Melissa. Of people that make me do She's deep, every deep on her iPhone. No. This He's probably signing me up for some kid's podcast tomorrow. <laughs> he has a hundred listeners. You really should do it. I mean, you don't have to do it, but, you know, Emmy voters might be listening. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> Master and None, you did a lot. Master and None. Well, you look, had to. I, it's your first. It's totally a, joking. It's your I don't mind. I, I, I don't do a ton of stuff. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very excited to sit down here. I've, I've heard your podcast before. And I'm we have a lot of mutual here. friends. Yeah, a lot of mutual friends. And, and look, I... Uh, you created it with a Red Sox fan? Alan Yang. He's a Red Sox fan. I don't know anything about his... Yeah, his, they play his, baseball in yeah, Boston. Yeah, I don't yeah. know about his preferences that much. He's a Red Sox fan? <laughs> <laughs> he talks about sports like Mike Schur and those guys. And my brother. It's like this whole, it's like this whole little side lingo thing. And they're talking OBP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 
All these different crazy baseball stats. Yeah. Red Sox fans are a lot, and we're in much better moods these days because we've won three three World Series in nine years. The, oh, okay, that's like, good. If you tried to create the show with Alan, if we had never won the World Series, it would have been a much darker show. There probably would have been a murder in like <laughs> episode nine. Alan's a pretty nine. upbeat guy. I, I'm telling you. You know, Alan is the only... Here's some, some mild bit of sports information I know. Alan broke both Achilles' heels. Tore both oh, Achilles' tore heels. both of his Achilles? He, like playing basketball? Them. Yeah. He, he tore the first one because he was playing basketball and like a racquetball randomly just went into the basketball court, nailed his Achilles heel, tore his Achilles heel. And then he had like a walker and it was a very long ordeal. Alan is the most upbeat, you know, always sees the bright side of things kind of guy. But this was very hard to see this because what happened was he then, a couple years later, the other one tore when he was playing basketball. And he said, like, I could feel it. I felt like it's happening again. I think the only two people, uh, he said his doctor was like, it's you and Kobe Bryant that tore, tore both Achilles. Seriously? Yeah. I mean, there's other people, I'm sure, somewhere, but, like, that's oh, that a pretty rare of. injury. Of, double of, Achilles. Uh, w, Have you heard of that, Tate? Tearing, no, 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 no. tearing both Achilles heels separately. Jesus. Yeah, so he doesn't, he's not really hitting the courts as much, I don't think, but... How'd your life change after you won the Emmy? After I won the Emmy, well, people refer to me as Emmy Award winner, Aziz Ansari. That's that's probably the biggest change. That was very. It was a very fun night, and it was cool to get recognized like that. Uh, you know, we made the show, and we thought it was good. I don't think either of us anticipated the level of reception we got. It was such a. It's so nice when you put everything into something, like really put your heart into it, and and for it to be received well is is a great feeling, and. Uh, you know, winning an Emmy was cool. It was something I didn't expect to happen. I hung out with your brother that night. My brother? Yeah. He's the best. Yeah. He was he's, taking credit for everything. He's he's our number one joke man. I'm telling you. You watch season two and you <laughs> if you pick certain jokes, he uh, I'm sure he had a hand in them. He's, Him and uh, Alan are both good. kind of shell-shocked. Shell-shocked by the Emmy thing? Yeah, that night. There was, a, there was think, a shell shocking. Well, Alan had a speech ready, so he couldn't have been that shell shocked. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I think he was, he was prepared. He was. Yeah, I, I was not, and luckily didn't get a chance to say anything anyway. So. Yeah, that's right. I, <laughs> I was literally. What was so bad was I was literally just gonna. So for people that didn't see it, Alan spoke instead of hilarious, great speech, and then I was gonna go on and say just. I was literally going to thank my parents and then dedicate the award to our friend Harris Whittles that passed away. Yep. That's all I was going to say. I was going to be, I just want to thank my parents and dedicate this to our, our friend Harris Whittles who passed away when we were writing this series. <laughs> they cut the mic. It's, uh, so were you mad? Was there any point I, over the next five I, days where you got mad about it? It seemed a little crazy that they couldn't let me even speak for two seconds, but I, what is there to get mad about? What Alan said was a hilarious, great speech, and we won the award, so were you I mad when, to be mad about. Were you mad when Moonlight took the cut the mic like confusion thing to a whole other level with that, the Oscars? Yeah, that was, that was bad. That was a different level of, of uh, mix-up. That was pretty bad. They, for Kimmel, though... He now goes down for posterity as the host He's of the, the Oscars. I was trying to explain I it to him three him. days later. He didn't totally see it. He is the best, man. I always see him in the backstage of those things, and I, you know, and I'm about to like run some bit. I'm like, hey, man, like, what do you think? You know, he. I was just emailing with him today because he loves pizza. Right. And uh, he loves I love pizza. pizza. 
and he has a pizza oven and i have a pizza oven and we're just like emailing about like pizza does <laughs> pizza oven yeah email he takes it very seriously <laughs> he loves pizza and he loves making pizza so we email each other about like really nerdy shit like where are you getting your tomatoes from <laughs> well, <laughs> really i was like where are you getting your tomatoes from <laughs> hey one of his best friends is like the best pizza yeah, guy in bianco yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so i think that got him yeah and now I, he I knows how to him. make the bianco pizzas yeah, he told me he took like 29 lessons with the guy, yeah. which is very respectable. Yeah. Uh, I was in Tokyo. I was living in Japan for a few months earlier this year. And there, the pizza is incredible because these guys have went to... This one guy went to Naples and like learned how to make Neapolitan-style pizza. Then he went back to... Um, he went back to Tokyo and opened up a Neapolitan-style pizza place in Tokyo and kind of applied the, the Japanese work ethic towards making pizza yeah and there's a, and and then now he has all these disciples that are opening up all sorts of pizzas so there's this huge pizza renaissance in tokyo and it's some of the best pizza in the world some of the best pizza i've ever had and uh i was emailing him i was like you gotta get to japan and eat this pizza oh he's this probably gonna incredible. go in like a week yeah he gets super competitive Welcome with other podcast, people that rich pizza. assholes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i was in tokyo eating pizza well it seems like you do a lot Jesus. of traveling though I like getting away. You know, I whenever I finished season one, I at the end of season one, my character goes to Italy right. to learn how to make pasta. So after season one aired in November and January, I, I took some like three weeks of like intense Italian lessons, and then I moved to this small town called Modena. Intense Italian lessons? Yeah, two what hours is that? a day. Well, just two... people screaming Italian at you <laughs> <There's> like a... <laughs> under high pressure situations. <laughs> yeah, it's intense. <laughs> you, they like put like a big rock on you, and then you have to yell for help in Italian. <laughs> right. Just figure it out. Yeah, are you a man? We'll take it off you now. Right. Um, no, it's, it, this woman would come, and we would do like two hours. A day because my thinking was basically this i was like i probably waste about an hour minimum two hours probably on internet every day yeah so i dedicated that time to learning a skill like a language i would in over three weeks so that time would not have been lost it's not time i would have been doing anything productive i probably would have wasted time on the internet or whatever so i did that and then i i was not great but i was shaky but i went to this town called modena and i lived there i went there by myself made friends there and and i worked in some you soloed shop. Yeah, which was very scary for me, but I yeah. wanted to kind of do what the character was doing so I could right. see what that experience is like to kind of go somewhere and not know anyone. It was kind of a weird, it was weird because it was, I was doing it for the show and for research for the show, but it ended up being a very good thing for me and a, mm. a very, uh, it was really, uh, it was a really amazing experience for me. So whenever I finished season two, I was like, I want to do that again and just kind of live somewhere else. And it's kind of nice to just get away from New York and... Uh, you know, I, if I'm there, I just kind of, I fall into a pattern of just going, you, you fall into a pattern anywhere, right? You end up eating at the same place, seeing the same people, doing the same stuff. Right. So it's kind of nice to just kind of put yourself in a different environment. And I was writing. And so I, 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 I like the idea of being somewhere else when I'm writing away from kind of the distractions of New York and everything. And, and then just the cultural experience of kind of just living somewhere else and getting to know the culture. I love Japan. I've been there a few times but I'd never spent like a long time there. So I tried to learn Japanese a little bit and then I stayed there for a few months and, and uh, it was really good for the writing and everything because... Um, well, you know why? Why? Because when you're a writer, it's good to get knocked out of your element and be uncomfortable. Yes. I write the best on airplanes. 
I get so much done on, on a si- On a six-hour flight when there's just chaos and people walking around, it's uncomfortable and you're just kind of trapped. Yeah. Those I are love, always great. Yeah. Especially when there's no Wi-Fi. Yeah. If I'm writing, I have to, I have to leave my the phone go-go. in my... Yeah, yeah. I have to leave my phone at home and I have to go to a, a cafe that I don't know the Wi-Fi password. If I learn the Wi-Fi password, it's done. What was... Because <laughs> then I'll just start checking shit. Yeah, you have to. Because what you happens can't resist. is... Th- this is, you know... Sometimes people like ask me, like, do you have any advice? This is my advice. Do this. And the reason I think is what happens when I'm riding, and tell me if you find this, I will hit a point where I like don't know where to go. And in those moments, I will then be like, well, maybe check my email or check New York Times real quick. And then I'll go back to it, right? But when I don't have my phone and I don't have internet, I hit that moment and I'm forced to kind of stay in that moment and... When you stay in it, you can come out. You'll come up with an idea. Yeah. But that idea is gone when you when you take the break to go on the, the moment you're on whatever. Amazon. The moment you're over. like, well, let me just see what text I got or whatever. Yeah. It's it's the worst. Um. I used to call it, when I was running Grantland. I would had like five jobs. I used to call it going in the bunker. I'd be like, I'm gonna go write. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not checking my email for like five hours. Like don't don't email me when I'm out. Mm-hmm. So. When I would get out of it, I was I was always be scared something terrible had happened while I was like not looking at anything. Nothing happens. Yeah, nothing happens. Nothing. You know, there was I'm, never one time where I was like, oh, if I had only checked two hours before. It's like no, it's kind it, of it's amazing how nothing sense happens. It's false of urgency. Yes. I'm, whenever I do Master Gun, whenever we're filming, I never keep my phone on me. And I remember there was one time when we were doing season one, there was this whole crazy drama that was happening about the cover of the book, about get like we're not going to meet some deadline or whatever, right? Yeah. And there were just frantic emails just all day, blah, blah, blah. And I opened my phone up at the end of the day, and I saw this whole chain of crazy emails, huge exclamation points, all caps. And then at the end, it's like, all right, guys, we figured it out. We got the deadline pushed. <laughs> and that was all I experienced. Yeah. Right? Now, imagine I open that up while we're shooting. I'm trying to shoot this show where I'm like acting in everything, right? Couldn't be more required to be present completely. To get the job done. Yeah. And then I'm sitting there worrying about this thing. Then And then, you know, at the end, it's all figured then out. And you're knocked out. It's so nice to have it away because it's just, it, it, we, our whole, everyone's kind of work atmosphere is creating these false senses of urgency, I think. And it's taking people out of being present and doing a good job. Kimmel's the only person I've ever seen who can do everything all at once. He can answer all emails. He's answered he's my like, pizza emails. He's, he's, he's writing he, jokes. I've gotten emails hosting. from him, and it's like 5.15, and then I know he starts taping the show at 5.20 or whatever. So I'm like, how is he emailing me about this stupid Steve Garvey photo I sent him or something? But yeah, he's, he's just able to... I can't do it. Quick break to talk about our old friends at stamps.com they're one of my oldest friends i feel like i've been mentioning them in podcasts ever since i started doing them convenient easy reliable flexible my favorite words to describe stamps.com why wouldn't you hand your packages to your own mailman right outside your own house or apartment sign up with stamps.com and you can automatically calculate and print the correct amount of postage for every letter or package you send the U.S. Postal Service, right at your fingertips. Any letter, any package, any class of mail, you're in control of all of it. Stamps.com will send you a digital scale to automatically calculate postage exactly, and they'll help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. You will never have to go to the post office again. Right now, use my code BS for this special offer. A four-week trial, plus postage, plus a digital scale. Without long-term commitments, just go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BS, my initials. That's stamps.com, enter BS, sign up today, stamps.com, 
never go to the post office again. I really hope you use stamps.com on Mother's Day and did not go to the post office. All right, back to Aziz. So when you did Mass the first season, when you're creating you're creating all the characters and all that stuff, it's just you and Alan, right? And little Harris? No, no, Harris isn't involved. He's in not involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's just not, two. He's not a writer. Just my brother. My brother is a writer. Um, but in the first season, we had we no, had. I'm a saying st- first oh, season. Oh, oh, Harris Whittles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh god, yeah, 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 yeah. Harris Whittles was around. Um, so what's the sorry. team? What's so, the team heading into year one? Okay, so season one, me and Alan created the show together, right? I we were finishing up Parks and Rec. I go to Alan. I go, hey, I think we should do a show. And Alan and I had kind of lightly always talked about doing a show together. Yeah. You know, it's kind of weird. I don't know if I've ever told Alan this, but I remember. I think I told him, but. Whenever we first started Parks and Rec, is this Rack. gonna be emotional? No, it's oh, not okay. That emotional. I didn't. I was gonna get. Right. And once we get into the Harris stuff, though, you, you better get them Kleenexes ready. <laughs> I was supposed to talk to some lady about Harris for like an hour one time, and we got like ten minutes in. I was like, I can't do this. Oh, for the Guardian piece. Yeah, it was really hard. Alan talked to her forever. I was like, man, how did you do that? I have a Harris connection that you don't even know about, but we'll okay. do the Master None. Okay, thing so first. Master None. So the thing I was gonna say is, Alan. And I uh, started Parks from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, he was a writer. I was one of the actors. And, you know, we were both the kind of young single guys. You know, everyone else was a little bit older, married and whatever. But Alan and I were both about the same age. And he really loved food. And we just started hanging out and whatever. But I, uh, I, I remember thinking, oh, you know, often when people are on these shows, they find a writer that they get along with and they end up creating their own show together. And I was like, oh, I could see myself doing that with this guy. Like, we get along really well and he's very funny. And he's really the best partner yeah. you could have because he kind of, he's so disciplined. He's really hard on stuff. He, he kind of just, com- we kind of compliment each other in really great ways. And, um, you know, we decided we were going to do this show together. We'd always talked about, like, let's do some show together where, because we were on Parks and Rec, which is filmed in LA. It's 22 episodes. It's so much. And we're like, let's do 10 episodes and do it in LA. I mean, I mean, in New York. Is the Netflix binge stuff really started yet or no? No. Like, that you wasn't on your radar? When we pitched Master of None to Netflix, the only shows on Netflix were House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. They didn't have anything else. Right. And then now it's like they have a new show coming out every day. We're on a Netflix show right now. They're filming one. <laughs> I was looking, is there a camera? We're doing press for that show, too. <laughs> it is true. You go to Netflix, and it's like new releases, and it's like 17 new things. They have a billion shows. It's good for, yeah, That's they, they like, still spotlight the, the, the major ones. Well, so. luckily, it's okay we, for we, you. we got in early, and so yeah, you we're got like, in early. you know, one of their more uh, premier titles or whatever you want to call it. But anyway, so... So you knew you didn't want to do 22 because you knew the grind I, it's was... It's too many. It's, it's, yeah. it, there's no reason for that many episodes of anything. I, right. I don't think there needs to be like seven seasons of all these things either. There, you know. Anyway, so that's a different story. But So, so you would I, take the sixth season of Girls back if you could. I didn't. I, I, oh, okay. To be honest, I didn't uh, keep watching. I, yeah. I, stopped, I don't no, watch anything No, it's over. It just ended. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It just ended. <laughs> you know what we'll I did? We'll never know what happens I, to them. I, I know them. I know Janie and uh, Lena. They're so nice. And, and I, whenever I run into Lena's them, a they're, good, they're, good they're very sweet. And, um, you know, you kind of, Lena's so nice. Like when I started mastering and I called her and asked her some stuff and like, you know, do you think I should direct and things like that? And she was, she was very nice about her advice. Everyone in comedy is very nice and very giving. Uh, not a lot of times. Sometimes. Do you ask that question a lot to people? Do you think I should direct? Well, I asked her like, hey, like, cause some people are like, hey man, it's too much to like direct and be in it. Like, or, you know, if you do it, like do the last block, you get you know. spread out then you're not yeah, doing it. You know, it's it's well. not an easy thing to do, but she was like, you'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, I can't imagine. Right. I mean, and I did way more this season than I, I directed last season. I directed first season. I directed two 
this season I directed four, but one of them was a double episode, so it was really five, and it was a lot. But it was really fun, and I, I was way more, you know, confident and and as a director and kind of knew what I was doing a lot more. Uh, I was. I could never more. tell how hard directing was because I'm a huge 90210 fan, and Jason Priestley started directing episodes. <laughs> I'm like, is is he is this easy? Like, I, or is he well, like the depends. next Orson Welles? Or it's got to be one or the other. You know. Jason watched a lot of uh, Bergman and Antonioni before he went in to do his episodes, same as I did in Master Gun. I really did do that, as, as, as pretentious as it sounds. But when well, I was you, in, you, would, you, die, you dove into the 70s. In the did a lot of that was, whole thing, right? Well, in, in the first season, I was watching a lot of like the Woody Allen stuff, and I was like, okay, can we do a modern version of this stuff? But then in, in between the seasons, when I was living in Italy, I'd work in the pasta shop during the day. In the afternoon, I was kind of going to, going to a, a kind of film school in my apartment. I was just watching yeah. all this stuff I hadn't seen. I was watching a lot of Italian cinema because it seemed kind of appropriate. So I was watching like, you know, a lot of the, you know, some of the Fellini stuff I hadn't seen or Antonioni and, you know, random things like Scenes from Marriage, uh, which you, you were mentioning the Linklater stuff. And uh, I, I got that. I watched Scenes from Marriage because they said when they were writing Before Midnight, they, they referenced Scenes from Marriage, which is a uh, really I'm older incredible. than you. How old are you? Me? I'm 34. So I'm basically the exact same age as Ethan Hawke's character in the trilogy. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And it's weird because when I saw the first one, I was just as idealistic about love and all that stuff as the character was in that yeah. movie. Yeah, so you kind of hit the And then you beat. hit the second one, and it's like, I'm a little jaded now, but I still believe. And then the third one, it's like, love sucks. I hate everything. Kind of still in yeah. the second one. Yeah, I'm still, I feel like I'm still in the I second one. I haven't hit the third one yet. I'm not, a, I'm not dark stuff. yet. I've been married for a long time. Yeah. I don't feel like, but I can see the third one. Mm-hmm. I see the this third like one coming. The key of the third. No, you can see it. It's it's a shadow that's looming down. But I think, I think the, that's what's brilliant I'm in the about it. The fourth one, where he's like by himself, just <laughs> living living abroad all the time and avoiding having a life. Uh, God, that's a dark analysis of what I'm doing. The, or Is you're in the second and a half one, or the first and a half. I'm in the. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in in the in I'm in, I'm like right before he got married to the lady, the right. second one that he divorced. <laughs> I'm about to meet that lady and get divorced. Um, well, we're, we're, but I liked we're, what you were saying about um, um, no, well, we we're talking about Link later. Link later, um, yeah. And I was watching Scenes for a Marriage. Yeah, I was watching Scenes for a Marriage. But the first season, I you know, before Sunset, it's one of my favorite films ever. And uh, I love that kind of very kind of talking about relationships. It just felt so real. And I remember reading interviews about like how they would write and things and one thing they would do that I also read Kubrick did as well where you would improvise dialogue with the actors and record it yeah you just kind of improvise the scenes and record it and then use those recordings to kind of write your script and so I would do that a lot I did it a lot with Eric uh in the second season especially I did it even in the first season I would do it like with Noel a lot and then the second season, I was like, that really worked. It helps the dialogue feel a little more natural. So I did it a lot with Eric. I did it a ton with Alessandra, who plays um, the love interest in, in season two. We spent a lot of time doing that, and um, it was very helpful. So I I read one thing from a while back when you talked about that, and I was fascinated by how you did it, because I've always been fascinated by how they did the Ethan Hawke, Julie Delpy, all that stuff. And it sounds mm-hmm. like the same process. I so they put them stuff- in positions in scenes, I would just Fake say scenes and they just go and then no, they real kind of scenes like okay so I would just go when it, whenever we uh, auditioned uh, uh, Sounders character we did improv uh, I would just say like okay um, well like in the first season you're the, making the first pizza scene, at Jimmy the, Kimmel's house the, the first the first season right the yeah. very first scene is a condom breaks and right. uh, we have to decide if we're gonna get a pill right and so 
we wrote one version and then I just went to Noel. I was like, hey, let's just improvise this. Just treat this like this is real. Like, let's just, let's just play it very real. And she made choices that were interesting and more interesting than what we'd just written. And so I used that to rewrite the script. And um, we did that with a bunch of So scripts. she makes the choices. You go back, you rewrite it. And then she goes back and she acts off the lines you gave. Or does she still imp- imp- improv at that point? Well, no, it's kind of like we, so I, it's we, improv we would do, written so we would and then do, it's scripted. We would do it like, okay, so I would, uh, you know, if the scene is like, uh, let's say it's that scene with the condom, right? Yeah. So I'd say, all right, Noel, let's just do that scene. And, and we both just kind of make the choice to play it very real, not go for jokes at all, and just play it very real. If something funny happens, great, but it's really just about playing it very real and treating it like a real situation to get very natural a uh, performance. And so we would then improvise it and we would do that like a few times. And then I would go back and remember, okay, which bits were really funny or which things were really interesting that we landed on. We would, or, you know, sometimes I might say, okay, this time you don't care that it's broken and you just want to keep going again and I'm very nervous. Or, you know, this time you're nervous and, you know, we would try and then just kind of see, you just do a bunch and you kind of see what feels right and use that to kind of, all of those Use all. I mean, this is at least what I do. I don't know what yeah. those other guys do, but that's what I would do. I would just do a bunch of things. Are you getting things. feedback from anybody? Like is I mean, Alan saying kind of, use take two, use I take eight? Just, no, I just I just do that with the, with the actors. I kind of just do right. that by myself, and um, uh, it, it's not a rigorous thing. It's like you just kind of feel what feels right, and you remember, oh, that thing when you said that that was funny. We should try to put that in, and you know, and then we read it again and just see like, okay, this feels pretty natural. And we hit the right beats, and it's not too long or too short, or whatever. How similar is that to what like Curb Your Enthusiasm does? Because it seems I like they put them. Do. I don't know what they It do seems like he puts them in structure, they ad lib, but there's some sort of structure with it. F- I, I think they ad lib while they're on set. I mean, this yeah. is this is like almost like kind of rehearsals that right. we would do, you know? And I think that's closer to what uh, Link later and what I've read about. The, you know, so, what, what happens if do. you cast somebody who's not good at improving? Everybody we cast You're for like the big, role, big roles, part of the audition is like an improvised scene. I mean, Noelle's audition, she did a thing where uh, um, we, uh, we just improvised that condom breaking thing. And like when in Lena's audition, we did an improv about, you know, some scene that was in one of the episodes. So everyone that we cast in the big parts, they're, they're comfortable with that. Claire Danes? Claire Danes, we didn't you do that You just kind of trust her because she's Claire Danes? She's, she's just a legend and just handled everything. She's good. Her I mean, stuff was, we didn't do that kind of improv. I don't do that with every scene or anything. Yeah, it's only yeah. with like certain scenes that are really, for whatever reason, lend themselves to that process. You know, so yet it's another not reason why this couldn't have been twenty-two episodes. You would have had, God, you'd have been could, like completely burned out. You told me how to do twenty-two episodes of Master Nine. I'd, I'd be like, I can't do it. I'm, I'm quitting. I can't. It's too so much. when you sold the idea to Netflix, they were just like, Yeah, we'll do ten. We'll put them up all at the same time. What did they tell well, you? We pitched it around everywhere. Yeah, and everyone was into it. They liked the idea of just you know some sort of Aziz show. Right. And uh, Netflix was the only one that was like. Don't worry about doing a pilot or anything. Ten episodes. Let's do it. Ooh. And and this was before Netflix was yeah. like, you know, really doing a lot of original programming. But I knew them from doing the um, stand-up specials with them. And it just seemed like where things were headed. Yeah. I would not have guessed it's, it would be as crazy as it is right now. But, God, it's been What are we talking, like, then. 2014 or, to, or early 2015? Uh, may have been 2014, I guess. Yeah, you were early. We're really early. I mean, I, I remember think we when we did the meeting. About they, this more. Whenever we did the meeting, there was just a poster for for Orange is the New Black and one for House of the Cards. It's all they had. I think when you do and, the and and Lily Hammer, <laughs> <laughs> an American gangster in Norway. <laughs> well, how do we all know Lily Hammer? 
Everyone that knows Lillian Hammer is losing it. On the, uh, listen to the podcast, like, this motherfucker's coming in with the Lillian Hammer jokes. I like it. And then there's other people like, what? Lily Hammer gets gets lost in that I first wave. I think you wave. should He's brag more about seeing the future of Netflix and streaming content. Uh, not a super your... super prescient thing to see, but no. Before you know, see as you're doing your season two promotion, you'd be like, look, I looked at the landscape. This is and I just I felt like I, I remember I said to Alan, the sun was shining on us, and I was like, this is where it's going, man. We got to get in now. I had no clue. We are cowboys. It was fun though. We um. Yeah, we were in there pretty early. But by the time the show came out, they had other things, too. Because we took a while before right. it came out. Because we ended up getting another season of Parks and Rec. And so we did, we did like, the half season of Parks and Rec. And then we started making the show. But during that whole time, Alan and I would have talks and things. And we came up with a few scripts and ideas before we even officially started writing. Like, we came up with the Parents episode and the Claire Danes episode, the one that's called The Other Man. And, um, yeah. So we were we were still talking, you know. Alan and I, even when we're not working on the show, we're always the show's always in the back of our minds, and we kind of talk about things like uh, in between season one and season two, we kind of talked about we we just kind of talk on the phone, like maybe an hour or so, and just just kind of ex- well, like what would be something exciting to do in Master or None because it was the first time we kind of knew we had the show to, to, right. and what it was and everything. So, do you have an end game? Like some end people going in this are like, this is six seasons and I'm out and I know how it ends. I mean, I might be two and out. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I look, always like when people say they know how it ends. There's no way they actually know, know how it ends. I don't know how it ends. Uh, you know, I was texting with Alan the other day because we were watching the, the girls thing. And oh, what I was going to say about girls is, so I, I, I'm, I don't watch any shows. I, yeah. I don't. And the only thing I watch, I watch Game of Thrones, but I don't watch any comedy stuff because it feels like, it feels strange. It's like if you were, you know, if you, if you were, uh, if you made coffee tables and then you went home and watched a show about a guy making a coffee table it's not it's it's doesn't it's not i don't get the same thing out of it um wait i don't understand why it's just like it feels like work it's like a doctor watching er yeah i guess my coffee table analogy was no no i was because my stepmother i was always a pain in the ass pretty pretty clear bill (laughs) my stepmother was a doctor and you couldn't watch er with her because she was just like oh no it's not like that because i'm not like oh i'm not like watching the show and criticizing it it just you just it's a different feeling I yeah i got know. you so um uh, but uh i just well, i was curious what they did at the end you know because i know that's a, must be a big moment for them and you know i know them a little bit and uh so i watched i just saw the previously on for and and then i saw the previously on and then i fast forwarded to see what the very last shot was so i just saw and that it was, was like it. a very weird way to watch the show. I was like, what the hell's happening? She's dating an Asian guy. Why you got a black baby? What happened in the show? There's too much diversity here. I remember when it was just four white girls. I now know. she's got a black baby. One guy, a girl's dating an Asian guy. They went too far. <laughs> it is true. They The first season, they were just like, too white, too white, too white. <laughs> it was about Wait, four white I, girls in was, New York City. I, so it? I called Alan. I was like, what's up with that baby? And he was like, well... She starts dating Riz Ahmed, and it's his yeah. baby. And I was like, I don't know, man. Neither me or Anise were that brown. Right. <laughs> we were full Indians. Riz, Riz is from where? Do you know him? I never met him. I don't know him, but he was great on the night of, which you probably didn't see. I saw. I watched an episode of it. I thought that was one good. was really good. I that was watch. a good one. I'm he so had a nice little day. HBO run. Dude, that, that guy's that in everything, and, and man. Girls. He was good. Let's 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 it's, get Aziz in some of those out. parts. <laughs> I didn't get to even audition for some of that. That's what's annoying, man. Sometimes, you know, him, Dev Patel, all respect, but at least let me audition for him. You can't even call me to to, to, just, to just read for the thing. Lion, Lion. You just give him give him one call. I could have just went in and read, 
I didn't even get to read for <laughs> Cup it. Cup of coffee. I can't, I can't play serious. You've seen the show. It's a dramedy. It's dramic, dr- drama scenes as well. <laughs> Take out the comedy. Imagine that. That's Aziz in line. It's fine. No, but uh, See, I don't... Melissa, this is going well. You're worried. I knew it would be fine. Yeah, He was yeah. like, you haven't seen the show yet? We're not going to be able well, to do this? I, well, I just, you know, it's different if you haven't seen the series. Now we're just talking about random stuff. But anyway. Yeah. yeah I never get... I've ne- I didn't... What are, the, what are the big Dev Patel movies? I never got to audition for Lion. I didn't audition well, for... Well, the big one was Slumdog. Slumdog, I didn't audition. What's the other one? Uh, the Life of Pi. That's not Dev Patel, but... They didn't even call me. There's like five Indian guys that are major in Indian actors. You're like, you're not even gonna see me. You're not even gonna give me a shot. You're not. You're not just. Uh, let's 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 not, guys. We don't have ten minutes to let Aziz read. What are the chances he could possibly pull this off? He's only been on eight seasons of television. Right. God. Yeah. You guys think Maybe. I'm doing a bit? I'm just serious. No, I, I'm. I don't think you're doing a bit. You listening, Sharon? It's my agent. <laughs> She's like, I tried Aziz. How do you, you know, do? They wanted to get. No. <laughs> how do you do? How do you work on your stand up if you're also working on the show? Do you, does it have to be one or the other? I don't. I don't do any stand up when I'm doing a show. It's impossible. I'd yeah. be doing. I'd be doing the show. The show. You know, I'm the first. You know, I'm there uh, from like you know six seven in the morning till seven eight at night. So if I did that and then when I did stand up afterwards, I'd go crazy. It's too much. But. Whenever, the last time I did stand-up was when I did the SNL monologue. Yeah. And for that, that I really did more stand-up than I'd ever done because, so I had a... Uh, what does that mean? I like a lot, of, so lot of, like, you kept going, like, five, well, six, I, seven weeks practicing the material Well, I only had, I had a month. So I finished Master of None, season two. Finished shooting. Yeah. And uh, I finished season two, and I stayed because I wanted to... So I, sh- I directed episodes nine and ten. And last week, you know, we were only supposed to shoot till like before Thanksgiving, but because we did episode nine as a double episode and um, because of some extra time that was involved in pulling off the Italy episodes, it, um, it took, uh, it took us all the way till basically like before Christmas, like mid-December. So, and, and so we finished shooting and I was like, you know what, I want to edit my cut of the episode nine and 10 before I leave and send it to those guys as a, you know, kind of a Christmas present, like, here you go, I finished my cuts. And so I stayed and edited the episodes, and I finished, like, kind of right before Christmas holiday. And I was like, wow, I'm, like, kind of done for a while. This was great. And it was, it was the hardest I worked on anything I've ever done. I'm going to go to Japan and eat pizza. Not quite yet. Okay, that, almost I still there. had to come back and edit in January, right, right, right. February. But I was done for a while, and I was like, I'm gonna, I, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was like, I'm going to go somewhere for, for Christmas, just somewhere and do something. And then I, the, I'm not even exaggerating. The night of that, when I finished the cut, I went to some Christmas party and I ran into uh, one of the people in the talent department at SNL. She's like, I've been trying to get you all day. We want to uh, have you host. And I was like, oh my God. You never hosted, right? I'd never hosted. And as a comedian, as a that's New Yorker. That's a pretty big that invitation. Was always been. Yeah. And you know, as... Someone that's been in New York, you always go to the show and you go, oh, yeah. and, you know, when friends host and things like that. So it was something I'd always really wanted to do. And I, you know, of course I was like, oh yes, every, I forget everything else I planned. I'm, I'm going to yeah, do this. You're doing this. But I was like, okay, it's a month from now. It's a day after the inauguration. I haven't done any stand up. I'm, 
I, I read something about Chappelle talking to Louis like before he did that snow, and I had a run in with him as well at the Comedy Cellar. That was a really crazy month yeah. of stand up comedy because Chappelle was dropping in, Louis was dropping in, Rock was dropping in. Everyone was like working on stuff. So you would go to the cellar. I mean, there was one thing they wrote a whole New York Times article about it where it was Seinfeld. Rock, me, I remember Schumer, that. and Chappelle. And it was yeah. really crazy. But there's so many nights where it was like someone would go to the comedy cellar and it'd be like me, Louis Rock. Like that happened all the time. And but I was they'd like, have this no idea. Crazy. They'd just go yeah, to see. But that night, what they wrote the New York Times, that was the craziest thing I'd ever yeah. seen. Even, even as a comedian, you know, I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> it was really crazy. Does it, does it foster like a little one-upsmanship or are just people just so happy to be there that they're not even thinking you that? Wanna, you, I, I think you don't want to look bad. Look, if, if Rock is there and he's like, hey, man, what are you working on for SNL? Like, I want him to see it and be like, this is good. Right. You know? But so I had a month to like get this set ready. And I knew it was going to be. So I saw Louis and I was like, all right, man, what do I do? How do I do this? How do I pull this off? And he said, all right. This will be the stand-up set. No one will watch any stand-up set. You do more than this. This will be your most watched stand-up set you've ever done. And he said, you don't, don't try to write a set for this. Just do your best stuff, and you'll be fine. And I said, Louie, I have no stuff. I've been shooting my show. Yeah. All my stuff is in my last special. And he's like, oh, well, you need to be here all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. That's my plan. Yeah. And so I just... I had never went so hard. So you went whirlwind. I did. I would do like, so the comedy cellar has three rooms. They have the main kind of room that you've seen like in Louie or whatever. And then they have these two little satellite rooms. One, one is like a little bigger version of the comedy cellar. Another one is kind of this kind of lounge kind of thing. It's a little weird. And they, the comedy cellar had all these shows for holidays. So they would do three shows a night in all those rooms. And I would just do as many as I could. I would do like, I would do eight, ten a night, just like running back and forth. Boom, 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 boom. I came to L.A. and I did the same thing at the comedy store. I was here for a few days and I would go boom, 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 just just go one after another. At the comedy store, like someone would just grab me and like, all right, quick, 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 quick. And, and I would just do all the rooms. And the key, any stand-up that's, you know, that you're trying to get really good, the key to it is just repetition. Just like finding little new moments, running it over and over, trying different things. And it's very inspiring to see guys like Rock or Louie or whoever who have that same level of dedication. I mean, Rock, he's on tour right now. Yeah. You would not believe how hard he worked on that tour. You would not believe it. I mean, he's had, he could have, he could have done that tour whenever, but he worked so hard to get it to the level it is now and would just keep doing sets. It like, seemed like his was, was personal sets. too, right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. haven't had the chance to see the show yet, but either, I'm sure but... it's excellent. He works so hard on it. But anyway, so I was like, all right, I'm going to make this set really good. And I knew it was going to be a big stand-up set because it's the day after the inauguration. Right. And it's tricky because you don't know. It's a pretty big spotlight. What, it's a huge spot and you don't know what's going to happen because it's so, it's so weird. I mean, the day before was the inauguration, right? I mean, everyone was just so down. I mean, on that set. Yeah. I'd never been there. It was like something truly awful had happened. Everyone was so sad. It wasn't even like something truly awful had happened. I, yeah, it's something, <laughs> something truly awful had happened. Honestly, I could, it was, yeah, but yeah. it was so bad. And everyone was down. And I was like, oh my God, like, what, what's going to happen here? And then the next day, that women's march just boosted everyone's spirits. And I changed a few things because of that. I had to change it the day of mm. because everyone's mood was totally different that day. But that said, I worked on it. And, you know, 
again, there was a time where after I'd been working on it like two weeks, if you're like, Aziz, you have to do SNL tomorrow. I could have done something that would probably been fine. But I kept working, 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 working to just keep, I probably wrote about maybe 30 minutes of material and then pulled it down to that eight. That was like the best stuff. Right. But, you know, I was constantly like talking to Rock and would send him files of things. He was super nice and very helpful and you know, he was, he sent me a text that I will never forget. I did a set early on and I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep pushing and try to just beat this stuff. And he, and he was like, look, it's the day after the inauguration. You're doing the monologue. Be big. Seize the moment. And that really inspired me to like work really hard. Just that, mm. that idea of like, be big, seize the moment. You know, it's, it's always amazing how you always hear like rock and Seinfeld and Louis C.K. all these guys. There's, there's like a community of standups that, and I even see it with like Jeff Ross or you see it sometimes when a comedian dies and everybody rallies. It's a community that Ross and I have talked about it. I, I don't even know what you would compare it to. It's, it's, it's like you're all bonded by something about that gig and doing, and doing things and some of the scars you have and it's how hard it is. It's a very specific Yeah. Subculture. A, you only have each other you to can, talk about it. Look, like who else, you know, if I do an arena tour, who, who am I going to talk to? Like, yeah. you know, there's only so many, few many people. Like before I did, I, I think at some point I was doing an arena thing. Like I texted Kevin. I was like, Hey man, like, do you have a sex talk? He's like, sure. You know, like, but it's not cutthroat. It seems like you guys are all you. They're, everyone's rooting for each other. It's I mean, not all like those oh, guys, that guy got this and that girl got that. I don't and, know any of the people that are mean, man. I mean, you know, like if you know, everyone calls everyone and asks them about things. You know, Rock was trying to get his like stage set up. He was like, you know, what did you do for yours? Like, you know, people I can talk to. It's like no one is like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can give you my guy. <laughs> you <right>? know, like <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'd be like, what the fuck do you mean? Right. And now, Sorry, Hannibal. I can't tell you any any tips on <laughs> becoming a theater fuck actor. You. <laughs> <laughs> and now Netflix is blowing out the market for stand up comedy. Oh, God, I mean, it's they have insane. Like a evil monopoly now. Jesus, that place is evil, man. They just throw the throw the cash around. It's a good thing for you. It's, it's well, I didn't get anything like those checks. <laughs> I didn't get <laughs> I didn't get the Chappelle check. I got the Aziz check, <laughs> which is a great check. <laughs> It's a great check. Chappelle I'm doing checks great. really nice. The, the Chappelle Rock checks are a little bigger. One more break to talk about Blue Apron, or as my son calls them, Blue Apron, because he loves eating Blue Apron, but it's really called Blue Apron. Don't listen to him. What if you stopped wasting money on expensive takeout orders? What if you signed up with Blue Apron? For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers easy to follow seasonal recipes along with pre proportioned ingredients right to your door. They have the highest standards, they build a community of home chefs with no rival. No more overspending at restaurants. No more overspending at high-end grocery stores with Blue Apron. Prepare delicious, memorable meals. Memorable meals yourself in under 40 minutes. Some of the meals available may include, oh, I wish Joe House was here, beef teriyaki stir-fry with sugar snap peas and lime rice, baked spinach and egg flatbread with sautéed asparagus and lemon aioli, three cheese and baby broccoli, stromboli with tomato and oregano, oregano I can't speak oregano dipping sauce and crispy salmon and roasted potato salad with pickled mustard seeds and creme fraiche sauce creme fraiche creme fraiche creme fraiche they always throw in one thing I can't pronounce they know I can't read right now you can get your first three blue apron meals for free with free shipping 
Just go to blueapron.com slash BS. Do not go to Blue Apron. Go to blueapron.com slash BS. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Back to Aziz. Have you found that uh, doing stand-up and... I, 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 I hate this question, but I always find myself asking it whenever I have somebody to stand up. In 2017, how uptight everybody is with everything and the coyotes that come after you because or not you but just anyone on social media oh they said this and everybody comes at you I, I, does that scare I'm you at all? Grid. I'm off the grid on that stuff okay and if you're off the grid and you don't know about it or don't engage with it it doesn't exist really good way um, to handle it not everyone can I'm do that I'm happy to have a conversation with somebody in person yeah. you know about anything but the, a lot of that stuff it's people taking things out of context and just you know not having a thoughtful discussion about something grabbing like a tiny excerpt and blowing it out yeah i mean i you know i've seen it with other people's stuff my stuff whatever and it's i don't know it's not a i, I kind of got off i kind of am, am, am pretty off the internet stuff uh because i just started realizing even like the new even like new york times sometimes i'm like i'm reading this trump stuff i'm like what am i reading these are like reading wrestling rumors or something it right. just doesn't even seem real anymore it's these this kind of cycle of he just said this crazy thing. Two days later, still hasn't apologized. Some other people are saying it's pretty fucked up. Right. Then it's like the third day, it's like, all right, it kind of said he's sorry, but not really. Yeah. And, and that cycle, how many times can you read that cycle before you're like, I don't know if this is really making me a smarter person. I'm no, I don't know if I'm learning or becoming more aware of something in the world. I think I'm just following this weird soap opera that it's just strange you're right it is like a four-day cycle this is why i muted i still like twitter because i get news from it but i muted everybody on my feed who talks politics oh really yeah and it's yeah, and it's I, a much nicer life you know i really is a few years ago i unfollowed everyone on twitter and instagram i took them both off my phone and i remember at one time i was like wow i'm really gonna not know what people are up to or whatever and it's fine and then after you did like, okay oh wow you realize like oh i don't I don't need to know any this stuff. It doesn't affect me to not know it. Trump, it's like, oh, we might get in a war with North Korea. Like, I'd like to know that oh, okay. as it's happening. Is that going down? Yeah, it's <laughs> like, is this going down now? I'm or, in Japan eating pizza, we, we, Bill. We have a submarine over there? Uh, yeah, this sounds bad. Like, I'd like to know that. But for the most part, like the four-day cycle of Trump said this. Yeah. Can I, you believe I, it? You know, that's why I'm really, really happy about Master of None, the second season, is that... Everything was written before he got elected, and there's no mention of him at all in the whole series. And I feel like he's, oh, he's so he's omnipresent so mad. in everything. He's got to be pissed. Yeah. He's like, really? I, I'm not in the season I mean, there, two? Yeah. There, there's, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like he's so omnipresent in every piece of culture now that it's, it's nice we were able to make something. He's kind of ruined Saturday Night Live for me. Mm. So I've been watching Saturday Night Live since 1975, and this is the first year that I don't totally care if I watch it because I'm like, I just, I can't do Trump anymore. Just, I just, you're having Trump fatigue. Yeah. Oh, it's beyond fatigue. It's like, what's worse than fatigue? Um, P PTSD? Yeah. I don't even know. Well, it's it's, it's overload. whatever the overload. It's Trump something. Overload. It's a, and I can't discern between Alec Baldwin and Trump anymore. Yeah. When Alec Baldwin's doing the imitation, I don't even know. I can't even tell the difference. Yeah. I, I don't even want to talk about it right I now. I don't even, I don't even. Yeah. Let's not even talk I, about I'm it. I'm like, I'm getting fatigued about you talking about the fatigue. This is, this is where Tate's going like, to throw in a commercial. You talked about how there's so much of it around on every medium for a long time. What was the hardest? There's people with Trump fatigue like, no, Bill. Yeah, no, you Literally, we have Trump fatigue from this conversation. What was the hardest thing about hosting SNL? 
Um, the thing you didn't expect. Uh, for me, I am very used to being in control of everything. Yeah. And there you really have to trust them. It's their show. They're dressing you. And yeah, they're like, they're literally pulling your pants off and yeah. putting new pants on you. Yeah. It was very fun and silly. But I was like, okay, Aziz, don't go in here and try to control everything. Let them do their thing. And, and I, I feel like I did that in a good way and didn't um, overstep any boundaries. But it was such a delight because, um, you know, Sarah Schneider, who's one of the head writers, she writes on Master and None. And it was cool to, like, be there when she is there and, yeah. and, and other people I know from the cast and stuff. Um, and they were all just so nice. And they're always really um, nice comedians at host. I think they like when comedians host and stuff. And um, so it, it was really fun. Do your imitation of Lauren interacting with you and do Lauren's voice. <laughs> I mean, that just seems like a setup for to do something mean to that guy. <laughs> Why? Every, but everybody who, who deals with Lauren, they love him and they all imitate his voice somehow. I have oh, so geez. much respect for that guy and he's like such, he's such a legend to me and just like, he, uh, he is, I did I've a pod in his office. By him. I've been so fascinated. Oh, you do what? I did a pod in his office. Oh, you did? Oh, it's I gotta listen to that my, episode. Probably my number one favorite pod I ever did. Shit. I mean, he's he's fucking Lauren Michaels. Yeah, he he's also great. Forty at telling, years. He's also great at telling all those stories. Yeah, and, and uh, I loved yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. You know what he said? That was really funny. He's very funny. Yeah. He said something. So they had this dinner, right? You go and uh, and some of the cast and writers come, and I'm I was just very nervous, right? Like my whole thing with doing the show is like. I don't even want the show to be good as much as I just want them to be like, Aziz was great. Let's have him back. I just wanted to end that week and then be like, you know what? We should have Aziz back sometime. That's right. all I wanted. You know, and I wanted the show to be good, but you know what I mean? So I was very nervous at times. And so we're at this dinner and it's Lauren, cast and writers. And, you know, I can be a pretty quiet guy sometimes. Yeah. I'm very shy at times, you know, and... So I'm sitting there, and I'm not really saying much at this dinner. I mean, you know, I'm just saying little things here and there and whatever, but I'm generally pretty quiet. And then Lauren goes, uh, I can't know if I do even do it. You don't have to do the voice. voice. But he goes, uh, uh, he goes uh, hey, you, know, you know what I don't like about Aziz? Is he, yeah. <laughs> what do you say? Uh, you know what I hate about Aziz is he's always on. It was so funny. <laughs> I just laughed so hard. Because I wasn't saying anything. You'd, you'd be like, this is the guy that's going to host? The quiet guy that's just staring at the bread? He's the host? It was so funny. I that's great. butchered his joke, but it Did was you really th funny. So you think you're in an invite, a return invite oh, at I some point? Oh, I mean, I, I hope so. It was, such a, it, was, it was one of my favorite things I've ever gotten to do, so I hope I get to do it again. That's great. Did you, you grew up in, you grew up in South Carolina, but then you, when did you move to New York? Or when did you start I went in to, New York? Uh, I went to New York in um, uh, 2000 to go to college. Oh, okay. Yeah. When did you start doing stand up? Summer of 2001. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, SNL goes on the radar and pretty early. The first early, place I ever did stand up thinking... was at the Comedy Cellar. First place I ever did was stand up was the Comedy Cellar. And I remember I used to go, I used to go there, just watch. And one of the first times I went, Chris Rock dropped in. I don't even know if I ever told him this story. He dropped in and he just tanked. Like he was working on new stuff, he tanked, and I was like, "Wow, this is really cool." 
that's cool that you watched him that fail. This is this art form. Yeah. That you're the best guy. One of the best guys that's ever done this. And you can still have an awful night. That's a very amazing art form. It's like baseball. You can go for four. Baseball, Bill, so hey, right. you can play baseball, you go for four. I don't know what that Can't means. go four for four every day. Anyway, Rock Tank, it was cool. But, uh... <laughs> no. Um, I'm sure baseball is cool. Uh, but he, uh... I, I remember seeing him that night, and, uh... But what was really cool was... They were like, we have a special guest. And then you didn't know who was going to come. And they're like, Chris Rock. And I'm like, what? I was this little kid. It was like, you know, I'd been in South Carolina, knew every word to his specials. Never in a million years thought I would ever see him in a tiny club like that. Yeah. And could you imagine if you went up to that Aziz and told him, hey, one day you're going to drop in. And yeah. people are going to go nuts. That would have fucking made my head explode. I mean, I, I said this before. Like, to me, like, when I did the garden, people were like, is this a garden, like, a big deal? I was like, yes, it's a big deal. But I think some reporter had followed me when I was, like, working on the material, and I dropped in like that. Yeah. And I told her, you know, like, doing the garden's great, but honestly, like, the coolest thing to me is that I get to be one of these people that drop in at the Comedy Cellar. That's, like, such an honor. They only let a few people do that. And, you know... When you get to that point where you can go to any comedy place and they just l- want you to get on stage, that's yeah. amazing. Because when you're a young comic, all you want to do is get on stage. That's, you're, you, you, you would hope you get one spot that was good, like a good spot like at 9 o'clock on a Thursday or, you know, or God, if you get a weekend where there's a good energetic crowd. And I remember going to the comic cellar and just being crazy crowds all the time and they were so good. And now it's like, oh, I owe it to that young Aziz to take yeah. advantage of that, that privilege I have and use it as much as I can when I'm working on stuff and get up as much as I can and make my stuff as good as it can be because I, I have this huge advantage that I, that, you know, to be able to go up like that. So you're how far are you away from another stand-up special? Oh, God, forever, man. Forever. I don't know. I haven't even started You owe it to young Aziz, you just said. Oh, no. No, I, I, I owe it to the other Aziz that wants to like direct and write more to, do, to, to work on that for a bit. The battle of the two Azizes. Yeah. But right, I you want... want to hear my Harris story? Whittles. Yes, please. Yeah, you don't have a story about my cousin Harris. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell uh, me a Whittles story. I wrote for Jimmy when he did the American Music Awards. Mm-hmm like two or three years in a row. One year, Jeff did it. God, what show does Kimmel not host? This is why he was good at the Oscars. He hosted like a kajillion shows. He was hosting roasts and all this stuff. Uh, But then one year, he needed a writer and Jeff couldn't do it. And Sarah was friends with Harris. Mm -hmm. And he, Jimmy was dating Sarah. She's like, so Harris comes in and he like barely says anything for like, you know, we're there the whole day on, we had a writing thing and then, the day of and he's just this quiet guy and i'm like what the fuck like wow like this is i can't believe he listened to sarah in this like this guy and then he started sneaking him in and then i was like i get it yeah and it was just like these little thingers so fast forward to we're doing grandland like 2011 and he starts to humble brag mm-hmm. um the twitter account which i thought was brilliant and i loved it very funny and i can't remember if it came, either it came out that he was doing it or I found out that he was doing it mm-hmm. and I emailed him and I was like, you're the fucking humble brag guy. Cause he hadn't said who it was yet. And, uh, so then we started emailing and when we did Grantland the first month, 
he was gonna be he was gonna be on Grantland every month doing the humble brag power rankings. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like yeah, the yeah, third yeah, week, yeah. He, I think oh, the I second or third so week, did, you did do that, right? You didn't. We did. Okay, yeah, yeah. He yeah, did I like, remember that. Yeah. I think he did like eight or nine months in a row, <laughs> and it was like the the funniest things we ran every time. It was oh. like just great. And then all of a sudden he went off the grid. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know he was having personal issues at that point. But mm -hmm. it was like, hey, man, you're going to write? No response. Hey, what's going on? Nothing. Yeah. And then it was like, well, Harris ghosted us. And I was like, that, that's weird. And then he comes back and he wrote like two more. Uh -huh. I think two or three more. And then that was it. And yeah. then I knew, after that, I knew about the problems he had. Ugh. Anyway. So he died. Mm -hmm. So then I think like two weeks later, his brother-in-law emailed us. And said Harris bequeathed all of his wrestling figures to Grantland. And he gave us all of his wrestling figures. Whoa. And then he also said he something about he had baseball cards and he's like, Harris wanted to build it, you know, do you want the baseball cards? And I'm like, Yeah. So I have Harris's baseball cards and the wrestling figures, which we had at Grantland, I'm not sure what happened to because I got oh. bounced. But yeah. That's, uh, yeah, you know, I, uh, God, Does that sound like Harris? Because it seems most of the people I know who knew him said that sounded like a Harris move. Sorry. I'm just like, oh, it's so hard to like think about all that stuff. It's, it, when you mentioned resin figures, it just like brought up like a really dark memory. But oh. How involved was he in For season those, one? Uh, <laughs> This is weird when someone gets sad on a podcast because it's just quiet and you're like, all right. But the good thing is, like... it's a podcast we can edit it if it, <laughs> if you want to take a break or anything. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, how involved was he in season one? Yeah. So whenever we got the show, uh, he was the first person I wanted to be a writer on it. I had written a couple of movies with him that never got made, but they were always. It was always so funny to read him. He was, he was my he was my favorite comedy writer. He, my right. favorite, just like just as far as just like jokes. It seems was like he favorite. was everybody's favorite who worked with him. He was just you would be in a room. I mean, I, uh, I my last memory of him was when we were we were working on Master of None when he passed. Yeah, and um, he uh, he. Um, Uh, why you gotta go down this path, Bill? You know this is gonna happen. Uh, I, no, I didn't. You want to get them tears for for no, the listeners? No, no, it's we're not taping this. <laughs> you knew this would happen. I had to tell you the wrestling figure story. How do I not tell you that? You, you, I hadn't told anybody that, that. Triggered a dark memory for me, man. No, um, it's fine. Um, one of my last memories with him was we were sitting in the room and we were just like. Just it was near the end of the day and we were kind of tired and we were trying to figure out this one joke and I think Harris was on his phone. I created some, you know, I tried in the master in the writer's room. I say, hey, don't keep your phones on. Like, don't check your phone. Put your right. phone in a drawer over there. <laughs> Harris would just keep his phone. He didn't care because <laughs> he knew he was Harris. He's so good. Yeah. So I was like so tired. I was like Harris, figure out this joke. And he just looks up and he just says something that was just like the funniest thing. I was like, you're the best. I just put it in. But he was there. Wasn't he supposed to be on the show? He was going to play one of my friends. And, oh, God. Uh, he was so excited. He was so excited to act. He really wanted to be an actor. And um, he was very excited. You know, I mean, you know, 
he was moving to New York. We we're gonna. It was. <sighs> yeah, we'd almost finished writing by the time he passed, and it was right before we were about to go to New York, and we we're gonna do some more writing in New York, and then start filming. And um, he. Uh, All right, he, what if you like edited it and then it sounded like I didn't get said, I was like, anyway, so he had, I took out all the boxes I won't, size. I'm not, we won't edit it. Uh, sorry, listeners. Um, he, uh, he was just, he was our other, you know, whenever me and Alan weren't around, he was running the room. And yeah. he, uh, you know, he was someone we just trusted so much. He was coming, he would only come in like three days a week because he was, he was doing treatment. He was in, you know, he was, uh, you know, really fighting this thing he's really open about it too he's very open about it and i was just so naive about it i thought well he's getting treatment everything should be fine he wants to you know stop and he's getting he's really being aggressive about um the rehab so i I didn't think i never thought something like what happened could have happened i could not have been more shocked when i got that call it really seemed to come out of nowhere but he was, you know, he was a huge voice in the show. He, you know, a, a lot of your, you know, what would have been your favorite jokes in the first season were lines he came up with or moments he came up with. And uh, he was pretty much there for the writing of, of most of it, except for the last few, I think, was, you know, after he passed, we, we finished those. But, oh, God, it's, it's a, it's, it's a hard thing. You know, he's one of those guys, ugh. he's one of those guys, you know, you have friends who are like, I should see that guy more often. He was always one of those friends for me. Right. And we'd see each other and have a blast, and then he's like, I should hang out with Harris more. And I just never did. You yeah. Know? And I'd see him every now and then, and, you know, he'd lived not far away from me. And, uh, you know, but we were working together so much. You know, we were working together on the show, and we'd work together on some scripts, so I'd always see him. I'd see him at parks. and. But, yeah, he was a, he was a really incredible talent, and uh, it's not hyperbole, the stuff people say about him. It's all true. All right. I'm glad we talked about him. Yes. No. I'm going to leave in all the pauses. Uh, yeah, whatever you want. It, it, it's, it's a legitimate kind of... No, yeah, no, it's I, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all fine. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. I, I had just... to tell you the wrestling figure story. Mm-hmm. What else can we talk about? We're at the hour mark. Whatever we you want. We said this is going to be a half hour. And now we've, now we've doubled I it. I like doing podcasts. This is a very long... It's an interesting conversation. And it's, 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 it's kind of the antithesis... Of what I was talking about earlier about the kind of Twitter stuff where it's taking things out of context. Right? It was actually a long, you know, thoughtful discussion. When you do fun. the when you do like the late night shows and stuff, and it's like seven minutes. Uh, I that's mean, fun in its own way. It's fun in a different way, and it's, yeah. you know, now I've done those things so much. It's so different now because I remember when I first did those shows, I was so nervous, and you know, first one I did was Kimmel. Kimmel was the first person that had me on a show. And I, I was so you know nervous and like had all my stories and like it was this tightly thing and. Now I've done those so many times. I know these guys all pretty well on different levels. And I mean, you brought your dad on a show more, once. What was that, casual. Colbert? Yeah, I brought my dad on Colbert. That was very fun. Um, <laughs> it was like two segments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had a lot of fun. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's so different now doing those shows. But that's a different thing. It's, you know, I enjoy how I, I wish I could have a long conversation like this with Conan. That'd be really fun. You know? Did you ever think about hosting a talk show? Um, I, you know, I would love to do a thing like this and just talk to interesting people, but I don't have time. I got to, you know, you only have so much time. So I, I got to, so you thought about hosting a podcast, not a talk show. 
Um, I mean, just some some sort of thing where I talk to people. I like, you know, I, I enjoy just talking. To, I'm very curious about people and, 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 you know, different people who do different things than me. And, and, uh, but you don't have any kids. Story. No. See, you should be enjoying this. Enjoying what? Well, because every time you have a kid, you lose like 15% of your product, potential productivity. Oof. And if you I have, sometimes if you have two, like, you're, you're operating at like 70%. Sometimes I'm just like in living my life and I'm like, what if I had a kid right now? Oh shit! Where would it, I would just be it? Such a bad dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never around. God, I'd be bad. Like, See you, son. Dad? I'm going He's to Japan traveling. for two months to eat, to eat pizza and write. Got to get away from everything. Too many people asking for selfies. <laughs> See you, kid. Here's your nanny. Here's your check for the month. Bye. I'm going to Italy. Can I come? No. God. I'm going alone. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've carved out a non-kid life. I have, yeah, I got to figure something out. So I can't keep doing this, but I enjoy doing it now. It does help me write. You know what I've realized? It's kind of like, you know, you come up with ideas in the shower. This is like taking my whole life and putting it in the shower by living right. in different places. It's putting right. my whole life in the shower. So I come up with different stuff. Meet Were you actually friends with Kanye or was that like a... No, I, you know, I used to know him pretty well. You know, I don't see him as... Pff, you know, it's just like anybody else. I don't think else. anyone sees him and Jay-Z, now. once they got married and have kids, I never see yeah. him anymore. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I used to... Uh, how did I first meet him? He saw some bid I did, and then he came to a show I did at Largo, and then... Kanye came to Largo? He came to Largo, yeah. He, yeah, he came to Largo in, in L.A. And, um, Kanye's the most fascinating celebrity. Tommy's nodding. He's probably a, I just, very I did, fascinating. I, I don't think there's any way to get a handle on him or describe him or what his, what his it's uh, tough cause, you know, passions are. To know, you know, he, he's such a, uh, an interesting person and you know there's this whole view of him as just uh, you know that some people have of him and that you know i don't know he is that and he's he's also a nice guy that i've met that you know he came when i did carnegie hall um you know he's he, he can be a very sweet guy you know uh but he's very you know the most interesting thing that i experienced when i was you know there was a time where i was pretty when i did the kanye jay-z video when i was in otis right yeah that's I, a, that was a that's a big imdb credit it's cool. It was it's fun. pretty good. So I, that was when I knew him and and Jay Z the, the the most. When I would see them a lot, I yeah. just kept seeing them all the time in New York. We would just go. Jay Z's like into food. I don't know if people even know that, but he's really into food. And so like I would just see him. We would get dinner sometimes, like eating at like cool restaurants, like <laughs> right. And and uh, then I started going when they were recording Watch the Throne. So I was there for a lot of the Watch the Throne recording, which is one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to see. Yeah. Just as just as a creative person to see how those two guys were making this thing creatively. Was I mean, it's one, of the, one of the most iconic albums of this century. Yes, and that's, like that's I was sitting cool. there like listening to like I had like Paris and songs like that stuck yeah. in my head like months before they came out because they would just play it all the time and like <laughs> you know it, and it was it was so cool to be a uh, to be a part of it. And so I think that's why they asked me to be in that video. And Spike Jones directed it. Who's you know I know him and we're friends. And so th that's why they asked me to do that. That's how I ended up in that thing. And uh, so but yeah, it was so fascinating to see them work with each other. You know, when Kanye was on set of that video, and he was like, he's like, you know, I bought a ticket for a Jay Z tour not long ago. Right. And now I'm in a video with Jay Z and. <laughs> And you know, we made an album together. I, was like, that's I think that's crazy. why that album is special because it it's caught them at the perfect points of their career, and it's also good. He put out that and Twisted Fantasy. Yeah, same year. I remember one time, me and my brother went. And he was in some studio not far from here. There's like a, a studio somewhere here, and he played us like 
all the lights and that was the coolest thing is when sometimes I would see him and he would just be like, yeah, I've been working on this. And he would just play like all the lights and he'd be like, Holy <laughs> shit. oh my God, people are going to go crazy <laughs> when they hear this, you know, that's he, amazing. One time when he played, played gorgeous from, from twisted fantasy. And yeah. I was just like, Holy shit. They forgot about two things. My black balls. <laughs> it's like, damn, that's good. Hurry Tate, up you love my, this. This might be just, Tate's favorite podcast you, moment ever. You just, you know, I. One day I went and just heard all of Jesus. I was like, "Holy fucking shit!" I heard like a long version of Jesus before he like whittled it down with Rick Rubin. I heard it like a really long version. I mean, he does this like rock and all these guys have stories yeah. like this of hearing this stuff. And he plays this. You know, one time this was so fascinating. He's working on Twisted Fantasy, and there is a guy comes in. He's got two vintage Hermes uh, suitcases, yeah. travel suitcases. And he's, first off, he's like trying to pick which suitcase. And he has like one of his guys, he's like, yo, grab that one and like walk around with a little bit. <laughs> All right, grab the other one walk around with it. He's like seeing which one looks cooler to walk around with. And he picks one. And then the guy's still there. He's like from some delivery service. And he's like, hey, I want to play you something. Tell me which of these you like. And he, he, he played him, and he, and he, and I was like, wow, I, it made me realize like how much to value someone's opinion who, you know, has nothing, everybody's opinion is very interesting to have. Yeah. And, you know, especially, if, you know, and when, when, when we do Master of None, we screen the episodes for like, you know, and uh, theaters when we're editing, because it helps, because you're so, you're the craziest person to watch and judge this thing, because you've been living in it, and when you wrote it and created it and filmed it and everything, you're so you're too familiar, deep. When, you're in too deep in a way that no one that watches the show will ever be, so it's valuable to get these other people's opinions, but I thought it was so fascinating, you asked that guy what he, what he thought about it. Um, yeah, oh, see, I, I want that Kanye back, and not the... Kanye, who's like doing fashion stuff. I mean, more power to him, and I'm sure it clears his brain, but I do. I kind of miss the old Kanye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But wow, it's pretty, you know, it's so crazy to think about, um, you know, how much, you know, think about rap tours before Kanye. No one had a fucking visual show before Kanye. Well, there, it was was usually terrible. those Those are really all that stuff. He's the one that designed what, you know, arena rap is you know had a huge impact i'm buying Kanye stock it's a little cheaper now i'm buying all of it i haven't seen him i think so he comes i haven't seen him in a while he's got he's brewing on something something um, will happen he'll be back you know look i know there's all those other stories but you know when during that period I, it was you know well that watch the throne thing is that's amazing that was a cool you'd be like thing. telling your grandkids about that that was really cool there was one time Pusher God, in otis there was one time they like we were sitting in, in, so when they say like live at the Mercer, they were really at the Mercer. There was in a room and we would just hang out in the room and they had like, it was like this. It was like this setup. There was a, a little white dude on a computer. The guy, <laughs> when he goes, uh, what, when he says, uh, um, what does he say on, uh, what's the song that's like, bah, 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 this is something like the, what's the song called? What's that song, Tate? But that's not yeah, the name yeah. of the song. That's just what I said. Yeah. What's, <laughs> what's uh, who gonna stop me? Yeah. yeah. When he goes, extend the beat, Noah. Noah's yeah. you. There's you. There's Noah. He's sitting at the. You know, the, he's the engineer. And it's just like them and you know this guy and they're and I'm, we're just sitting there and they were just like watching some. We were watching some like basketball game or something, and and I looked at Jay Z and he's just kind of like 
It's one of the few times I've been to watch sports. Right. <laughs> so he watches the basketball game. And uh, he, like, Jay-Z's just kind of, like, staring off. And then um, he's, like, taps Kanye. And he's, like, very quickly whispers this rap. This is one of the raps in the in the song, and he just come up with it while he's and it was long and so complicated and like full. It, it it was ended up being in in another album, but he just whispered this. They were gonna do a song called "Living So Italian," which is weirdly all my yeah. Italian stuff. And they they couldn't clear the sample or something, but Jay Z had a verse that he came up for it with there, and it ended up being on another Jay Z song on the 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 Magna Carta album. Um, but he's like. Uh, uh, you know, the, the one that's like, um, I'm just looking at some kid in here who's <laughs> clearly a big Jay-Z Kanye fan and is loving these stories. <laughs> Tate's ready. Uh, he, had, uh, he, he said the rap that was like, uh, um, something, it's the one that like references De Niro and, and all the stuff. It's in Magna Carta. Um, but he just spit it all so quickly. <laughs> and, 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 and I just looked and I was like, Man, you're really good at this. You're right. <laughs> we all just laughed. So <laughs> we would just, you know, what people don't realize, like those dudes just love to laugh, and they're they're very loved, just inspired by creativity, and you know, there's a whole side to these people that you don't get to see, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think people know like Jay Z's like a pretty, you know, he loves to laugh, and he's like he's a very funny guy. Um, but those were it was you know I was. This is so crazy, you know. I was, you know, when we were shooting that video, he said, Kanye said that thing to me. I was like, dude, I, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Indian kid from Bennettsville, South Carolina, and I'm in the biggest rap video. <laughs> Why am I here? <laughs> one of the one of the most bizarre asterisks in my career. But you know, that was just a cool time to just kind of be around these guys who were being so creative. And I was the biggest fan of this stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, Twisted Fantasy, Watch the Throne. That was the time to be friends with Kanye. That was a great time to be going to the studio and just hearing insanely good stuff. Was Kim around then? I don't even remember. No, it was before all that. It was before. No, I mean, I don't say, I'm not saying like Yeah, no, I got you. I, I no. tried to get you in trouble. She banned me. <laughs> she was right after Watch the Throne. <laughs> that was Chris Humphreys. Oh, yeah. Was, she was in the Chris Humphreys stage. Uh, no, but I saw him around like during, right. during Yeezus. I didn't hear any. Life of Pablo was the first time since graduation that I heard a Kanye album without hearing any of it before. Well, this is really interesting because yeah. before I would I would go in I'd see him and he'd play like one time he he uh, he, he was I, I just he was like hey I'm leaving soon but if you want to meet me in in the uh, in the lobby of the Mercer I'll, we'll have a tea or something he didn't say we'll have a tea he's like he's come to the tea <laughs> yo man just roll up to the Mercer we'll have a tea real quick he didn't say that uh, he was like just come meet me in the lobby of the Mercer yeah and he he was like he's like I just came up with a song called New Slaves. And he played the beat on his laptop. Bum, 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 bum. And then he just rapped the whole song for me, right? In, in, in the middle of the Mercer. <laughs> and Jesus. he's just like, I'm about to wild the fuck out. I'm blowing by you. And there's like someone eating eggs. They say, we're the new slaves. We're just like, okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll have the uh, eggs Benedict. <laughs> this should be a podcast of... I always feel like comedians, rappers, athletes, they all like intersect because they're all fans of one another. And then like yes. just these interactions lead to all people these funny stories. That should man. just be a podcast. People, yeah, people, love, people are very nice to comedians. 
What other celebrities have just said, hey, will you just come hang out with us because I'm a fan of yours? You just meet random. You just run into them. You just, you just meet. I mean, name someone. I'll tell you if I've like randomly run into them or whatever. You know, you just name pe- someone, Tommy. Do you just meet people? Michael Jordan, I've never, never run into anything. I don't but think he, he lives, leaves his house anymore. He lives not far. He lives in How North Carolina sometimes. LeBron, LeBron must have happened. LeBron, okay, LeBron. I uh, one time at the Comedy Cellar, he came with the full like starting lineup of the Heat. <laughs> oh, really? So I was at the Comedy Cellar, and uh, I so I said, hey, like uh, some guys might come to see the show. Do we have room for them? And, and uh, you know, the manager was like, yeah, hey, how many? I was like, oh, maybe like two or three guys. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll just squeeze them in the back. And I was like, yeah, one of them's pretty big. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, it'll be fine. Then the full starting heat line, like him, D Wade, everyone comes and they just they they stand in the back and there's this huge group of dudes just in the corner and I just did like you know like a twenty minute set and, and it was a great time you know. I I mean I I would imagine people are just turning around going. <laughs> That's Wait a LeBron second, James. It's just some tall guys. Wait a second. Yeah. That that um. But pe- yeah, people are just nice comedians, and they like going to shows and stuff. Yeah. All right, we're wrapping up. When does season two come out? That guy's like, what? I wanted to hear some. Sorry, I want to hear a Drake story. We're at like the one twenty mark. Oh, let's do a Drake story. All right, quickly Drake, <laughs> quickly Drake, and then um, we'll wrap up. All right, well, let's see. A Chappelle story. Yeah, Chappelle's way better. Wait, do you have somewhere to go? I'm, no, I'm sitting let's here. Do it. Fuck it. I was thinking about you. All right, Drake, and then Chappelle. I'll, I'll keep talking. I don't have anything else to do. I'm just here doing press. I don't. I didn't make any plans. Um. Oh wait. So what? A Drake story? Well, let's do Drake first. Wait. Don't want to hear. It? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have a, any good, good, crazy story. He's right, very sweet. Guy. Well, Drake's. I don't have a crazy Chappelle story. Well, I'll just tell you the stories because they're boring. You just edit them out. Um, because we got enough stuff. Uh, so Drake. Uh, when did I meet him? He. Uh, I met him like early on. You know, my brother was on to Drake before anybody. Yeah, and I and uh, he had told him about Drake, and then I met him like early on. Because he, he was just, a, like know. a DeGrassi High fan. No, he just like oh. knew about him early on, like with the mixtapes and stuff, like even before like So Far Gone or whatever. Um, but uh, he, uh, yeah, he's, I mean, he's like, you know, I'm a fan. I was like, oh, me, me too, like whatever, and we kind of became friends that way. And then, uh, oh, <laughs> God, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> okay, well, two two stories. Let's see, one story was. He was in Chicago, and he was like, hey, man, I'm in Chicago. I saw you doing a show. Can't come. Sold-out show at, at the Vic Theater or something in Chicago. Uh, I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> How many tickets do you need? 14. <laughs> oh, my God. It's <laughs> like, um, that's a lot, man. Uh, Drake right. plus so 13. I, I, I said, like, hey, man, can you figure this out? It's, I told my tour manager, like, can you figure this out? It's Drake. And and then my uh, my tour manager talks to his tour manager. is like, "Yep, uh, all right." So we figured it out. Yeah. And he said, I was like, "Well, yeah." And let him know if he wants to come backstage. And then they're like, "How many backstage passes do you need?" And his tour manager's like, "Fourteen. <laughs> 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 the barber can't go home. He's got to come backstage." <laughs> I don't know if Drake travels with his barber. Kanye <laughs> travels with his barber. He definitely travels with his barber. Ivan. Who does? His name is Ivan. <laughs> the guy's oh, the, name the is Ivan. The barber. <laughs> His name's Ivan. You Google and like look at like Kanye's crew or whatever. <laughs> Ivan comes up. One time I went, I was, I was like, "Hey, he's like, hey, like I gotta play the tracks." And I open the door and he's like in there getting his haircut. I'm like, "Look, what are you doing?" 
<laughs> so I get my hair cut. <laughs> and I was like, this guy that's around all the time, he's your friend slash barber? Because I didn't know he was his barber. <laughs> so imagine you're hanging out with me all the time, and there's one guy that's always around. You and then one day you come, and that guy's cut my hair. <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was his, his roommate or I something. I just thought it was his friend. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is his friend, but he's also Perfect. barber. That's funny. It's so crazy. Yeah. All right. What another? Another? What, what was it? Well, you want another Drake thing? <clears throat> the Chappelle stories are nothing, nothing crazy. I'm trying to think of anything silly that happened with us. Um, the first time I met him, I remember I was really young. I just won. There's a, there was used to be a comedy festival in Aspen, and I just won like young comedian, best yeah. guy, best young guy. Yeah. And then like Chappelle was there, and he just dropped in on some show and was just doing a set, and it's like everyone was just enraptured. You know, it was just one of those like Randy yeah. Chappelle sets that are just so captivating. And I saw him at some party. I was like, man, like I just got some award saying I'm like this good comedian. <laughs> and then I see you do that set and I want to throw this in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, you'll be all right, man. And I was like, what? You know, and I was talking to him about comedy a little bit. And uh, his advice for me, which was very good advice, was he was like, be very, he's like, be comfortable with silence. That's very amazing advice to give to He is probably the best at that. Yeah, it's incredible seen. advice. Yeah, he loves it. You lo- watch like him or Tell or someone there, they're very, yeah. they don't care at all. It's very, uh, very good advice. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, you use the silence. Very comfortable. You use the silence to emphasize the point of silence. Yeah, he's so good, man. I mean, whenever that night when all of us went up, you know, he went on at the, <clears throat> he went on at the very end. Cause first of all, <laughs> so he gets there's the no hammer? like Chappelle doing like 15. <laughs> like, right. He's going to go along. So, so, you know, when we were like coming up with the order or whatever, we were like, yeah, like Dave will go last. And, uh, he went on at the end and like, it was, it, it was great. He just, uh, you know, and like me and rock were sitting at the side and like rock is always an odd, an awe of him. Yeah. And rock is like, you know, I can write a good joke, but that is something else. And I think it's true. He's very, very, very good. And but he's he's always doing. He's he's a, he's very dedicated to the art form. This dude's doing stand up all the time. He's always touring. He's always been touring for years now. He's just been always. He's always doing hours. Always like on the road. He's so dedicated to the craft. You know. Do you think you're the last generation of stand up comics who do it the way that? It's been done these last 40, 50 years. No, I don't think anyone's doing anything different now. I mean, look, here's the difference. Well, I, like wonder sometimes that, like I wonder if the internet's going to change. The internet generation that's growing up that got able to get jokes do. off on Twitter, all that stuff, well, is that changing? I don't know what you can do because the, the financial model of it is still, if you put out your jokes before they're in a special, if someone comes to you live, they're going to be like, well, I've heard this stuff. So you yeah. kind of still have to have that model of like, I'm going to tour all this material and then put it out on a special or whatever, and then you know maybe write new stuff. Someone might be like, "Well, I'm still gonna do old stuff." I don't know, but um, I mean, I don't, I, I don't notice. I don't also don't know any of the younger people now. Like I'm weirdly like one of the older people. Like you know, even like you know when I was coming up, like Hannibal was the young guy. You know, Hannibal. Yeah. You, I remember when I did a show in Chicago. It was like a 300 seat theater. And someone was like, you know, this guy Hannibal that lives in Chicago is very funny. And I was like, let's have him open. And he opened and he was great. But it was such a different Hannibal. He was, yeah. you know, he was like, he, you know, he was very quiet and like he, you know, he hadn't really found his delivery and stuff. And then like, I remember just watching Hannibal grow and just seeing like, 
you know, how he just developed this huge stage presence and just like, you know, was just so much more emotional on stage. It was so different than when what the young guy I saw in Chicago, you know? So what do you think What do you think it is? Mid-30s when you totally figured it out earlier? Or it depends I on the comic? Figure, I didn't figure out anything. I mean, if, even if I did the... Ma- I was just thinking the other day, like, even if I did the Master None episodes that we just are about to put out, I would do them a little differently because I've gotten better in some way. I mean, because yeah. I made that stuff, but I, you're never done. I mean, you know, I... I, I you know, the stand-up set I did on SNL, I was pretty happy with, but uh, yeah, I still don't know if I've done a special that, like that. I don't know if I've done the Aziz special that I want to be like the special that represents I have good news. Netflix just offered $40 million for it. No, they didn't. They went 28. To, they, 28 million. They went straight to Dev Patel. <laughs> they didn't even, they didn't ask me. They're, they're seeing if Riz Ahmed can do stand-up. They're like, he's such a good actor. Why couldn't he? He fathered Lena Dunham's baby. He fathered um, Lena Dunham's black baby. The baby was. Me and Anise, neither of us that dark. That was a dark baby. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, it's like, all right, so what are they supposed to do, right? Like, let's say, let's say you're the internet person who's like, that's so fucked up. <laughs> it's like, all right, so they got to go on a baby scouting. Have you ever tried to cast Get a the baby? Right, right Hugh? You, there are not a lot of babies that are in, in the game. So you're going to try to cast. So it's like, all right, we're, okay, we need to, we need to find a baby beiger. that's half Pakistani, half. Lena is Dunham. Lena, Lena, Lena's what, Jewish, white? I don't think she's Jewish. She's I don't white. know what she is. Yeah. So you need to find half Pakistani, half white baby that wants to break into showbiz. <laughs> 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 you can't find it. So you, you, this black baby's like, hey, I'm in. I'm right here. The black baby's just sitting there like, hey, man, you go look for that. You look for that half Pakistani, half white baby. You'll come back to me. That's how it always goes. I'm the black baby that's everything. <laughs> that was my favorite internet <laughs> That's one internet controversy I was aware of. Because I Googled it because I was very curious. I was like, wait, so why did she have oh, a that was baby? an internet controversy? I didn't I, know that either. I Googled it afterwards because I was, I was confused. People upset about the baby? And, well, some people were like, why is it, uh, uh, it, it does. And, and, then, and then someone was like, the ba- it's not even a black baby. Because oh. I almost got involved in the controversy. Baby like, truth. Fucking Aziz was on the podcast. <laughs> it's a black baby. It's not a black baby. Aziz is my stage. <laughs> The baby, it, I forgot the ethnicity, but I, I, I was very curious about this. So I was, <laughs> I was very curious. And so I, the, apparently the baby, did you look up where the, where the baby's from? The ethnicity of the baby? I can't, I can't remember. I will say lighter than I expected. No, but yeah. look at the episode. It looks, it looks very dark. Yeah, <clears throat> but the the ethnicity of the baby, it's I can't remember the ethnicity, but it's not it's not. This is how stupid internet shit is. It's it, it, let's say it's like it's like you know Puerto Rican and something else and uh, something like that. The baby has one hundred twenty thousand Twitter followers. Now. The ba- baby's huge. He's just, <laughs> it's blowing up. The baby Puerto is, Rican and Haitian. The, the baby is doing an auteur style show for Netflix. <laughs> Deal. It's coming out. The trend is really getting out of hand. That baby does not has no show running experience. <laughs> never directed. Twin baby boys. Twin baby twin boys. Baby What's boys. the ethnicity? It always has to be twins. What's the ethnicity? Puerto Melissa? Rican and Haitian. Puerto Rican Haitian. Yeah. The, and then so the mom said like, "Hey, my baby's not black. It's Puerto Rican and Haitian." And then so like, there's black people in Puerto Rico. Right. What the fuck is your problem? <laughs> I was like, God, this yeah, is, this is so internet. silly. Like, why are you getting, look, for just a second, all the internet controversies, for just a second, before you, like, start yelling at someone, just, just maybe give people a second and think. Is this worth it? 
No, we're just like, well, maybe their heart was in the right place and that's not what they meant to do. You know, it's going to suck. Maybe that lady wasn't trying to offend black people by saying, hey, my kid's not black, it's Puerto Rican and Haitian. Maybe her goal wasn't to offend you, you know? Maybe Lena is casting a baby and she couldn't find a half white, half Pakistani baby. And she got this baby that seemed like the closest skin tone. They probably had a row of babies and they're like, God damn, none of these babies look beige enough. Shit. Can we can we lighten the baby CGI? in post? Yeah, they could have they could have color corrected the baby to make the skin tone a little bit lighter. You know, you know what the show should have been? It should have just been like it should have just been a normal episode. You never met Riz Ahmed's character, nothing. It's just like <laughs> it's one just of the normal girls episodes, fun. and then it cuts to a black baby sucking on her titty. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, what's gonna suck is the blog post when they when it says Aziz rips on Lena Dunham's black baby. They'll they'll have a fun time reading it. I won't. Yeah, yeah. I that yeah. that's that shouldn't happen. There's enough context. There'll be some. The I'm sure. I'm, I'm 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 gonna be out there saying stuff for a couple of weeks before no, I, I go away again. I think again we got and... through this pod without anything. I really do. You, you never Usually know. I know. Usually I'll look at Tate after and be like, eh, should we if cut you, the part when I, Aziz talked about Aziz talked I, about uh I don't blank. Uh, I don't. Uh, it's we're fine. Can when does season two come out? Uh, it's May twelfth. May twelfth. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, May 12th. Is that like a Friday night, midnight type thing? It's Friday? Oh, it's strange. I like when they do that. Because you just spend the weekend and you just watch the whole thing. Well, they go What's they go crazy? right for the stoners. They go right for like it's, the 11 p.m. I just got baked. I just bought chips. What's so oh, dark is... show drop. I spend, you know, me, Al, and our team, we spend a year making a season of the show. It's about a year. Yeah. To write it, shoot it, edit it. You know, then even, you know, the promotion, whatever. It's about a year. And then everyone watches it on the weekend. For like, Bo- yeah, Bob's watching it at 4.30 where's in the morning. the next one? Yeah. When are you making the next one? Dude, we just took a year to make that one, man. Give me a minute. Hmm. Yeah. Good luck. Thank so you. come back after I watch it, and then we can talk about it. Yeah, if you want, I'm down. Yeah. You're here all... It'll be a three-hour episode, but I, I'm down if you are. And I still... What was the one we didn't... Oh, I didn't yeah, tell... Yeah, but we could put this up before... We could put this up before <laughs> May 12th. put this up before and then put up another one after. We'll put it up, like, whenever uh, we do the next one. And maybe you can hear the story. What's, what's, this, what's your name? Tate. Tate. Tate, maybe I'll tell you a story about the time I was in the club with Drake and <laughs> some girl lost her contact lenses. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. We never talked about David Cho. David Cho, my yeah. good friend. No, I, I don't think we should. I think we should intentionally <laughs> yeah. not talk about yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, let's he, not talk about him because he listened. He listened to this for ninety-one minutes, waiting for me to bring him up, and I never did. <laughs> <laughs> Too and bad, we Cho. have mutual friend and guy anyway. Yeah. So anyway, what was the thing that happened with uh, Keanu? Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on. Thanks. <laughs> All right, thanks to Stamps.com. They bring the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. They'll send you a digital sale, a scale, automatically calculate exact postage. Never go to the post office. Again, sign up for Stamps.com. Use promo code BS for a four-week trial plus postage plus a digital scale with no long-term commitments. Click on the microphone at the top of the Stamps.com homepage. Type in BS. Thanks to TheRinger.com. Don't forget to check out that Billions piece we did this week. I might have a piece on there today, actually. Go check that out. And uh, thanks to Larry Wilmore's Black on the Air podcast. Launched this week. 
subscribe to it now. Don't forget to subscribe to that and Cousin Sal Sure thing, our new. Oh no, that's not what it's called. It's called. That's his Facebook thing. It's called Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Sorry, Cousin Sal. Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, our new gambling podcast. Subscribe to that wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the weekend. We'll be back later. <laughs>